0: Hey, guys. So when you listen to the podcast and you hear the title SSAW Live Sports Podcast presented by the Craft Factory, you're probably wondering, what does the SSAW stand for? Well, it stands for Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide. It's a huge Facebook group community that only talks about sports all day, every second, every hour. And from there, make sure that you type in the letters SSAW or just type in the full name Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide on Facebook. When you click on it, make sure you put a request in. One of the founders will click on your request and from there you join a huge community that loves to simply talk about sports every day and every second. We talk about a wide variety of things from basketball to football to soccer to everything, you name it, even world wrestling entertainment. Everything under the sun, we love to talk about it because we simply just love sports. So again, it's a Facebook group, a huge community that's waiting for you. Make sure you type that name in and we'll welcome you wholeheartedly. Welcome to SSAW.
1: Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Welcome to Diamond Talk, the place where, you know, we talk about our first love, baseball. Because let's be honest, I probably, I probably was the, our first love for a lot of you guys. Man, Rob, Nick, how you guys doing?
2: What's going on, everyone? Doing
1: good. Doing good, man. All right. And, you know, with that, we're going to start off with someone who isn't doing so good. And, you know, we, we've, we've spoken about this team for the last feels two months almost. So we're talking about the the Houston Astros—they kind of just came out with their apology, and there's been a lot of reactions to it from the media and from fans, from other players. Cody Bellinger came out today, had his piece. We've had, we've had, uh, you know, other guys just react to to what's been happening. And man, what do you, what do you guys think about that Astros apology? If that was an apology, which you know, that's I, Nick, man. We'll start, we'll start with you. What, what do you think about everything that happened with that?
3: I mean, that it was scripted. It was fake. It wasn't real. There's no remorse. I mean. Carlos Correa is getting a ton of praise for his interview in the locker room which okay so he he said the basic stuff that he should have said and i don't know there's just so many holes in it the the the, the owner Jim Crane being so pompous to say that it didn't affect the outcome and then later on in the same interview say oh i didn't say it didn't affect the outcome it's ridiculous it's i mean if you're going to be that egotistical and and that you know just Standoffish and not humble, then why even do it? It's. I was really looking forward to it because Jim Crane said that we're going to make everybody talk and apologize, and then they didn't do it. It's just a joke. It's a mockery. I hope every single pitcher throws at them. I hope all of their. I hope teams lose ten to nothing because all they did was hit their players. And Ross Stripling, he knows that he would he was happy to go to the Angels because he's going to throw at the Astros every chance he got. And you know, so I knew how. I now have a new favorite Dodger uh, player for that, but. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a disgrace to everybody involved. And even the scripted stuff was a joke with Altuve saying, you know, sorry for our fans, sorry for the game of baseball. Why is it just your fans? Like, people watch you because you're good. It's not just the Astros fans. So it was. it's almost comical how bad it was.
1: Uh, I'll say this, man, and this is about Carlos Correa. I don't ever trust a person who wears sunglasses inside. Like, bro, you're indoors. The sun's not hitting you. Like, take them off. Man, Rob, what what did you think about everything?
2: Yeah, it was a pretty piss poor apology. Um, I don't think I've ever seen players or an owner such disconnect, like so disconnected from what actually is happening. Like Nick mentioned, you know, for Jim Crane to say that the sign ceiling didn't have an impact, and then a few seconds later say that he didn't say that it didn't have when he clearly did. Um, you know, and a lot of reporters were calling him out for that. But um, to me, the player that stands out is Jose Altuve. You know, because even if you you strictly look at the numbers, I mean, go back to 2017 and someone like Alex Bregman, who's at the forefront, who's at the forefront of the scandal now, back in 2017, Alex Bregman wasn't much of a player. You know, he wasn't much of the player that he is today. He was just I think that was his first or second year in the league. Um, And Jose Altuve was essentially the face of that team. You know, we had the comments today from Cody Bellinger saying that Altuve basically stole an MVP award from, from Aaron Judge. And I know that's a sentiment that a lot of people are, are starting to feel now. You know, when you actually go and, and look back at the numbers and you, you know, now you know what you know. Now you know what the MLB found out with their investigation. Um, but overall, yeah, they, they needed. Look, when you have billions of dollars, how about you spend some of that money and get like a, a elite level PR person? Because I don't know what the point of that apology was when everyone can clearly see it wasn't real. And like I mentioned today, I would kind of feel better if they kind of just came out and told everyone to fuck off. If I'm being completely honest, if they came out and they said, yes, we cheated. But guess what? We cheated. And we still think that we're better than all of you do something about it. I feel like a lot of people would feel a lot better than that, because at that point, at least you're not being fake anymore. At least you're being, you know, 100 percent real. With with the people that are watching the game of baseball. And, you know, I saw I saw someone, I forgot who I saw today, say that, you know, like uh baseball with this whole Astros scandal was basically turning into like a WWE type of storyline or whatever. But let me tell you what, it's not a good one because the Astros are, you know, in wrestling terms, the Astros are the heel in this story. They are the bad guys. And they're getting booed, and that's supposed to be the job of the heel, but they're getting booed for not knowing how to wrestle, essentially. They're not getting booed because they're playing their role of the bad guy well. I mean, come out and say that you cheated. Come out, say that you cheated, and then you don't care. At least people will kind of know that you're being real at that point and not being fake. Like, that's, that's what a lot of people want. And I think my thing with this whole situation is, um, you know, there's different debates from from Astros fans talking crap to Yankees fans talking crap to Dodgers fans. I feel like people just need to kind of like set a standard that they can't go back on. Like as soon as this scandal dropped, one of the first things that I said was if the Yankees got caught doing the similar thing, strip the title from them. I'm not I'm not suggesting that the Astros need to have their their title strip just because i dislike the astros if the yankees did it strip them of the title if the dodgers did it strip them if the kansas city royal did it strip them like strip anyone who did this scheme of a title if you go back and investigate that the yankees cheated during seven of their championships take seven of their championships away i mean just be consistent with what you say like because i I guarantee you this a lot of the astros fans that are making excuses for the astros right now if if it was the Dodgers that we were accusing of doing this and costing the Astros a World Series, they'd be uh, they'd be just as mad as Dodgers fans are right now. So I think it's a lot of hypocrisy going on, and it's a, a piss poor effort coming from that entire organization. Uh,
1: the thing is, I, I think with with Houston Astro fans, it's like they they were in a desperate place in 2017. It was one of those things where you know the hurricane happened, and you know they get, they get Justin Verlander. They have that very sentimental. Justin Verlander, Kate Upton on video saying they're coming over to help them and stuff like that. And there was so much emotion in the Houston area that now, two years later, when everyone's saying, look, that was fake. You guys, you know, you guys were good, but you guys wouldn't have been there without this, you know, cheating thing happening. I think a lot of Astro fans feel like they're being taken for a whirlwind. They don't want to accept that, that their team did do something to this level. And they're going to defend themselves and say that they're going to deflect. They're going to say like, oh, she's been going on forever and all this other crap. And, you know, it's just as the team, you got to do better. You got it. Like you said, the whole PR staff there didn't do their job as far as, you know, nipping this in the butt, which they could have very early on. They could have just said, look, we, we did this and we apologize. Uh, we, we, we know what it meant for the game and we, we ruined a part of that. But wh- what they're doing now just isn't they're still deflecting other questions. Like they don't, they don't answer a straight question. They, they kind of always like, let's say when they ask them about the wires, it's always, Oh, that didn't come up in the report. Well, tell me that you didn't do it. Don't tell me what they didn't find out. You know what I mean? Like, it's just thing, things like that. Like if he was like their PR person is like a lawyer who thinks they're every player in that team is going to prison. And they're just saying, Hey, look, you have to say, you have to answer this way. And it's terrible. It's a terrible. Look for them. Um, you know, before, before we started on our, on our main topic, there is one more thing that happened this week, and that was uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred saying that the a potential playoff change is coming. And that would be, uh, you know, among the part of the rules, it would be having a team choose a, essentially who they're playing. It would be, uh, apparently wouldn't be a delay. Apparently the way that the the schedule would work is that the playoff team, the, the team who got the bye, would still play that uh first thursday but e- either way whenever when we came out there was a lot of uh harsh reaction by the players and some weird reaction by uh the the media in my opinion but rob we'll, we'll stay a few right now man what did you think about the the playoff expansion change or at least the suggested playoff expansion change
2: yeah i'm i'm not for it um and it's not necessarily because i think it's you know like the most horrible idea i've ever heard but I think even if you take out the fact that, um, you know, even if you keep the schedule the the same and you don't necessarily have um, like the type of delay that was insinuated by a lot of the players um, or even if you um, realize that there's no major change into like the amount of games that a team would need to win, because realistically, there's not, you know, if you if you. Have a three-game series for the wild card and a team needs to win two of those games essentially all you have to do is win one more game to win a title than you would it would, i think it's what 12 it would go up to 12 from the 11 that you usually have to win um so or 13 if you if you're if you're a wild card team um so it's it's not that many more games that, that you have to win in order to to win a title i just think that it's not a problem it's not a problem. Like the current format that we have right now is not an issue. So you're trying to you're trying to essentially fix something that's not broken when you have a lot of other problems that do need to be fixed. Like, that's why I agree with, you know, like the Trevor Bowers and the Dallas Bradens and, and all of these um, players, former players that that are coming out, giving their opinions on it, because what they want is, for better marketing for their players overall. And that was one of the main comments I made when I first saw the, the potential expansion is, you know, you're potentially adding more games to this schedule. Okay, you're going to add more nationally televised games and people still aren't gonna know who your players are because you do a terrible job at marketing them. So it doesn't really matter. It's all a money grab at the end of the day. Like this is just an opportunity for the MOB to put more money in their pocket. You know, you get more playoff games that you can sell to TV networks. So you get that additional revenue when realistically what the players want is the ability to to be able to express themselves, to be able to have some personality, to wear the cleats that they want, um, you know, to to just to just be themselves. And, you know, Trevor Bauer stated something very, uh, very good. I thought when he gave the example of like the NBA, you know, like when you see a slam dunk in the NBA. And, and I started to think of like even the NFL, you know, when you have like a crazy touchdown run in the NFL, where is the MOB social media presence like there are so many games there are so many highlights that happen in games that barely get highlighted on Twitter um, there's it's it almost seems like they're not following like the own MOB social media is not following the games in real time and I think that's something that they can definitely um, expand on um, you know they, they need a better social media team um, I'm available if they want to offer me a position um, but you know really you're leaving you're, us you're Rob? Looking at this I mean look if the check looking right like because I, I need a little money man but um, but you know I started to think about something too and it's just like this isn't to throw shots at anyone but it's funny to me that MOB's trying to expand this as if to try to get some of their better players in the postseason uh you know like a Mike trout. To try to get mo- more of their top level players in the postseason by having more slots you know because if you keep it at if you keep it at five slots in the al i don't know how how much it, longer it's going to take trout to get back into the postseason
1: yeah yeah especially not when you're, you're using your resources on more hitting instead of trying to balance it out with that pitching but yo nick what did, what did you think when you first saw this i know um the first i i remember if i remember correctly kind of the first issue you had was the timing with it But, you know, now that some of that kind of cleared away, man, what do you think about it?
3: So, I'll just put it as, everybody likes the game, two truths and a lie. So, my two truths and a lie to this is, it's going to make baseball a lot more money regionally. Uh, I really like this idea, and Rob Manfred should be fired yesterday. And the lie is that I like this idea a lot, because this is a terrible idea, in my opinion. I understand the financial impact, and I understand the idea of getting more of the game's top stars into the postseason. But... It shouldn't be up to MLB to expand or change something to get Mike Trout into the playoffs. It should be up to MLB to go to Artie Moreno and be like, you're fucking this up and stop doing it. That's the intervention that should be happening. It shouldn't be, let's give you an easier route to the playoffs. And you know, if Mike Trout can't go to his owner, if Mike Trout can't you know, get his team together to get better, to win a few more games, to get in the playoffs, then that's also on Mike Trout. But... Unfortunately, I, Manfred needs to be gone. He's he's, causing, he's getting headlines in all the wrong ways. He's changing a game that's been around longer than any game. And Bud Selig made changes that, while we're crazy, were also very good and he had an end result in mind with actual predictable outcomes. Adding the All-Star Game winner to host the World Series had a very predictable outcome and there was a reason for what he did. Manfred is just throwing shit on the wall and seeing if it sticks. Like, he can't say that this is going to do this you know, and talk actual dollar figures. He can't talk actual you know, players that are gonna get in. And it's crazy to me that he's still there. And he's getting headlines all the wrong reasons because he's making the players dislike him. And I get it, he's a puppet for the owners, just like Roger Goodell, but he is becoming that puppet. And Major League Baseball has never been a commissioner has never had a commissioner that's been such an owner's puppet as manfred it's almost like he's doing everything the owners want him to do and everything he does is driven to get the owners more money if he was really a good commissioner he would have said i give you guys immunity to the astros he would have told them, you guys get immunity but i'm going to release all the transcripts so there is complete transparency so you get immunity you get to play but you are going to get the full backlash of whatever you tell me. And that would have been fine because then you wouldn't get these half-assed apologies. You would know what happened and you would have been told, yeah, we cheated. And that's what it is because we would have heard the transcripts. But he's just, he's just like, I don't know. I, I can't stand Rob Manfred. He's, he's actually hurting the game in my opinion. And I don't think he's going to advance the game in a good way. Um, I do see the idea of like, you know, getting more players in. And I agree, it's going to get more players in. I don't know if it's going to get the right players in. And teams are smart. They're very analytical. If it's only going to take two or three more wins in a year, they might just tank even more and make the spread even bigger. And Rob made a great point. It's not broken. You don't need to fix it. From every friend, person that I know that watches all the sports, Major League Baseball has the best postseason. It is the most watched from game one to the championship out of any of the post seasons in any any major sport. It's the one shining light they have from first pitch to last pitch. And I don't know why they would try to, this isn't what needs to be fixed. Regular season needs to be fixed. Marketing needs to be fixed to Rob's point. And, but the post season, it's the best product out there. It's exciting. There's people who don't even like baseball who tune, in to, tune into the wild card game. The only other thing that I would say that I like out of this whole pitch is possibly making the wild card a series instead of a single game. But even that, like the wild card is great as a single game. It it takes strategy, who are you gonna throw? Is that one game to get into the next series that important or do you wanna try to set yourself up for the series? And it also makes winning the division a big deal. And that's what it should be. If you take it to a series, you might be able to back into throwing your three best guys, getting right back into throwing your ace into the next series. And then what was the advantage of winning your division? Nothing. You got less time off. You got to play every day. So I, there's there's so much with this that just doesn't make sense to me as somebody who's not of a Major League Baseball team.
1: I think you mentioned the biggest thing was that Manfred is, since he's been here, he has been an owner's commissioner where you know his decisions have, have been motivated by profit. And that's it's been pretty clear. Like, for instance, the fact that that there was this other wild card, I think is the reason why there's this new wild card coming. You know I mean? There's a lot of success with the one game wild card and, you know, people saw the excitement with that. And I think part of the reason why something else even suggested was to try to kind of build on that from that standpoint, which I don't agree with. I I think that, you know, the one game wild card, even though it is exciting, there is problems with it. more problems than we're going to talk about right now. But, you know, he, he's a profit-driven... He, he, he has been the profit-driven kind of commissioner. And if you if you talk to guys around the league, he, he has a lot more for the owners. Um, you know, revenue has gone up every year that he's been there. Granted, that doesn't mean that viewership and things like that have gone up. But the money that Braceball is bringing in has, you know... It it, it it just you know past records that it's been breaking every year but they're, so they're charging more for everything
3: i dude i go well, no, the, no, I 10 to 15 games no, a year and i have all kinds of jerseys everything just goes up in price jerseys used to be $225 for a name and any jersey you want now some of like 350 bucks
1: right and i'm not and i'm not arguing that that it isn't i'm just saying the facts are that there is more money i'm not saying that makes the, the game a better product by any stretch of the imagination I'm just saying that that's why the owners are so in favor of Manfred, even though but it not, has. I'm affected saying that's the game. not
3: Manfred doing that. That's if like that's not him doing it. That's just that's just market reaction. That's just business. Manfred is not making this game any more money from when he stepped in, guaranteed.
1: Hey, whether he, whether he has or he hasn't, at the end of the day, when people point at the numbers, they're gonna point at it being under Manfred's you know rain ass commissioner. Whether that's warranted as you know a benefit of Manfred or not. It's just what has been happening under his, under his I guess, you know, rule or whatever. So, he, yeah, he, fair he, enough. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying it's a credit for it. I'm just saying that that's when when people look back at it, it's going to be associated with his name, essentially. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, w- with that, I think we're at a good position to kind of get into 2020. And, look, I'm going to say it right here, man. This is our f- official step into 2020. This is our official, you know, step into the season. We're full goal. Pitchers and catchers just reported today. And I mean, not today, but this week, and we're going to go ahead and start off with our with our breakdowns, man. I'm excited about this because we're not we're no longer doing rankings. We get to talk about some some real baseball. We get to talk about some things that you know, we are really excited about and things like that. And today we talk about the AL Central. Now, the AL Central is a, a really interesting division. You have a couple teams in transition where, you know, teams like the White Sox are on the way up. While teams like the Indians are kind of lost because, you know, they do have a Superstar player who's been in trade stocks. They have pitcher who just got you know, injured. They've been they traded their ace. Then you have a team like the Twins, who won over 100 games last year. But seem to, you know, while they, they're still a favorite, they, they kind of they're the favorite in the division, but no one expects them to do much more than that. Um, and then you also just have your two bottom feeder teams with Kansas City and Detroit, who Detroit didn't, you know, get their uh, franchise low 120 wins. But they were i mean 104 120 losses but they were very close at 114 then you have kansas city who is dealing with the you know very hard post world series hangover that they have to deal with and kind of rebuild that whole team to hopefully get back there one day and and with that being said we're going to start off talking about detroit detroit was the last place team last year they only won 47 games uh you know they're a team who has gone over a huge change in the last 10 years I mean, in the last decade, there were a team that once had Justin Verlander, David Price, Max Scherzer, you know, um, Miguel Cabrera winning triple crowns with them. Victor Martinez, you know, possibly being one of the most underrated DHs there was in the league at that point. And we're at a point with them where there's not a lot there now. You know, guys like Michael Fulmer, who we expected to be an ace, have kind of fallen off the face of, of the map for Detroit. Uh, you have guys like Matthew Boyd, who stepped up last year in that, in that rotation, but there is there is some hope on the rise, you know. Casey Mize was their number one pick uh, a couple years ago, and they're looking forward to him potentially making his his debut in 2020. So it's not all darkness. But with that man, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and throw it to Rob. What's what's something you're looking from Detroit? If if you're gonna if you're gonna give Detroit a silver lining, because we're not we're not gonna bullshit. It's gonna be a rough year for Detroit. You know what's what's their silver lining? If you're a Detroit fan, what do you have to look forward to?
2: Yeah, so I, I think you alluded to it a bit. Um, I have Detroit finishing last in the division again. I do see them improving. Like, I could easily see maybe, like, a 10-game improvement from them simply off the fact that they, this year, they kind of went with the idea of, yeah, we're going to suck, but we're going to suck with at least, you know, major league-level players. Um, so they added, like, Austin Romine and CJ Cron and uh, Jonathan Scope, which, you know, aren't it's not like they're they added like the best players in baseball, but, you know, they added some good veterans who can who can probably bring some more to, to their lineup. You know, CJ Kron is a good power bat. He can on any given year. He can he can give you 30 home runs if, if he if he goes off. Jonathan Scope is, is decent at second base. Austin Romine is a very underrated catcher. This will probably be the first time in his career that he's actually going to be a starter. Um, you know, leaving the Yankees and being behind Gary Sanchez for a few seasons. Um, so they definitely added some bets. But I think the things that they have to they, they can look forward to is um, you mentioned Matthew Boyd. I don't know if they're committed to Matthew Boyd. I mean, Matthew Boyd is going to be the number one person in that rotation. But let's not forget that Matthew Boyd was also the main guy in trade discussions last season. I mean, the the Detroit Tigers try to get Glaber Torres from the Yankees in exchange for Matthew Boyd, which... At this point, looking back at it, it, would have just been like a ridiculous trade. Um, but you know, if Matthew Boyd does perform at a high level at the first half of the season, I say sell high and you know properly try to to evaluate his value, um, get him out of there. If he if he if he performs at a at a certain level, sell high on him, gain some prospects back. Um, you mentioned the Michael Former injury; that's very bad for them. I, I was hoping that Michael Former would have been back. Um, So he's definitely a guy that they're missing in that rotation. But to be honest with you, all the eyes are on Casey Mize and Matt Manning, who are they're currently number seven and number 24 on on MLB.com's top 100 prospects for this year. Um, They're both pitching prospects. So they are two guys that can easily slide into um, Detroit's starting rotation. Um, I think one of the main things that's that's holding Detroit back, quite honestly, is they still have one hundred twenty four million dollars tied into Miguel Cabrera for the next four seasons. So, um, you know, Miguel Cabrera gave him some some elite seasons, but now you get to the back end of that contract. And yeah, they kind of have to deal with that right now. I think I think for Detroit fans, um, you know, you look a little bit forward to the prospect, but you also I don't see how you don't take a step back and don't ask yourself the question, like, how come Detroit was never able to make a real World Series push with the rotation that they had five or six years ago when they had the Verlanders and the Price and the Scherzers and, you know, when Porcello was, Porcello was like the number four, number five starter for them. Um, they probably had one of the best rotations in baseball and never were able to make a real push. Um, but, you know, with some of the guys that they have coming up through their system, I, I do think that there's some positives coming for Detroit.
1: Well, they made the World Series, but Nick's team just beat them. That's what it was. He had the... <laughs> Yeah, the what's it called the Giants just, you know, handle that business. Right. But yeah, no, I think you, you mentioned you mentioned something really cool with with the with the um, Tigers. Cause the Tigers, you know, they know they're not competing for World Series this year. But they still went ahead, they went out, they signed, they signed veterans, guys who undoubtedly should be playing on the major league level, you know, guys like Jonathan Scope, guys like CJ Cron, If you want to talk about it, even guys like Hammond Mabin, who they just signed a couple days ago. Like, look, they're not top of the line, but these are guys who deserve jobs. They've been the MLB long enough where they're better. The, the product is better with them on the field than it is with, without them. I'm glad they're not just throwing in their you know really low ranked prospects and just you know putting them out there to get games over with. You know what I mean? I think this is. Does it mean that they're gonna they're gonna win? You know, fifty or seventy games. I don't know, but it, it, it's better for the game that we do have better players on the field at this point. Man, Nick, what, what do you have on Detroit?
3: So this is going to be a rough year in Detroit. I actually have, <laughs> I actually wrote them to do 45 wins. So I think they're going to lose two more games. And the reason I think that is I, I haven't dug in too much in their front office, but they seem fairly analytically savvy. So I the signs that they made are, they're all one-year contracts. I don't believe any of them were for two years. So that's going to lead that to be guys that they're hoping do well that they can flip them. And they've got a few guys that, so CJ Crohn's a one-year deal. If he starts hot, you know, 15, 18 home runs first half of the year, and there's an injury, just so one of the contenders, he could go. He could even go as a bench bat. Scope, I I think he had 38 home runs one year. I, I'd have to look up to make sure. But he could have, I mean, he can hit 300. He's done it before with that pop. So he could be another guy at second base that could add some depth to a team that, Needs it at second base. And second base is weak. We talked about it in our top 10 ranking. Second base is really weak. Jonathan Scope could act- absolutely be a top 10 second baseman first half. He's shown the potential before. Cameron Maybin's a great defensive uh, outfielder. His bat is hit and miss. It's really streaky. But again, he's another guy that has having a good first half. And then the pitching staff with Boyd. Zimmerman could be good. Uh, he could be really, really bad like last year. 6.91 ERA last year. He could be really bad. But... He could be good enough with his tenure in the league to be a trade piece. And Scott Turnbull, Ivan Nova, all these guys are absolutely guys that can be traded. Matt Boyd, if he starts off hot, I think he could bring back a top 10 prospect uh, from from anybody and also a couple other pieces. Their farm system is not deep. Um, Rob talked about Mize, and they also have Matt Manning, 21 and 22 years old college pitchers. they went to college and then came over, they're ready to go. They may not come in and just be aces, but they are both top-level prospects that are ready to go. Good fastballs, three pitches each, and they can afford to lose Matt Boyd from the aspect that Fulmer's going to come back, he's going to be solid, and Boyd can be replaced by Mize and Manning. So losing Boyd, while no team would really want to, could be a really good move. And then all of their offensive Prospects that are top level and Riley Green and I believe Alex Paredes, they're both really young at 19 and 20. So they have a lot of growing to do, but the the Tigers have time. And the reason I have it 45 wins is even if all the guys they got end up being solid, all the guys, Rob named Romine, Strong, Scope, and Maven, even if all of them end up being really good, the rest of the team is so hot trash on our meter. They are flaming dumpster you know, getting swept away by the creek. They are so bad. They're still only going to have twenty wins in the first half. And if they do have guys that are performing well, and they move them, then now they're relying on their youngsters. So unless the youngsters come up and just absolutely do amazing things, I can't even see them breaking forty-seven wins this year. Uh, they're the depth is terrible. The top end talent is pretty bad, and there's not really much for them to go up. And unfortunately, as good as Ron Gardenhire is as a manager. He's never shown getting maximum out of any team. He always seems to have more talent available than production ends up being. So I don't. He's a good manager because he's steady, Eddie. He's going to be there. He knows how to talk to guys and he knows how to get everybody through the league. And it's good for a team that's developing in that aspect that there's not going to be too many highs or lows with him. But it's it's a very bleak season for any Detroit fans.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned a few things I want to kind of touch on. You mentioned the analytics of Detroit and how they're. They're kind of developing into that team. They kind of showed up late to the party. Um, you know, Alvila, who's the GM there. Um, they're kind of building that that whole analytic team, that analytic front office out of it now. Where you know, it, it has it wasn't something that it's their strength at this point. It's something that they they've definitely been working on building. Uh, you know, one of their first guys to to you know run that back in like 2013. He ended up going out and working for, like, uh, Amazon or, like, Apple or something something crazy like that for a while. And they lost him, which was a big kind of a big loss in that department for them. And I want to say they lost him to Astros. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't quite remember. But, you know, the point is that they did show up late to the analytic party. You did mention something absolutely great, which is all the veterans that they signed, they are one-year guys. So their intention is absolutely to trade those guys. They're trying to bring in as much fresh young guys as they can to kind of – um you know, take a shot on them. You never know when a prospect's going develop. Baseball is of well sports where right? you really can change an entire player's future just by them, you know, meeting the right coach or meeting the right instructor that changes one part of their game that absolutely, you know, pushes them, uh, you know, over that edge of mediocrity. Um, you know, Detroit's the, the in for a rough year, but they do have something good to look forward to. Uh, originally, when, when uh, they, they traded Casey Mize, I wasn't really a big fan of him. Just because he looked like the oldest 20-year-old that could possibly be. But since he's been in the minors, I've kind of been, I'm, I'm becoming a fan of his. Uh, he reminds me, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Garrett Cole in the way he delivers and and the way he goes about things. Uh, a little bit of Roger Clemens, too, just because he is, he is a bigger guy. But I'm not, Grant, I'm not, oh, before we go crazy, I'm not saying he's going to be Garrett Cole or, or Roger Clemens. I'm just saying I do like the kid's makeup. And he has shown me some things that originally I didn't see. Uh, you know, let's go to our next team. And last year, the Kansas City Royals finished in fourth place. They won fifty nine games, which means they lost one hundred and three. And man, look, Kansas City isn't in for for a prettier year. Um, they did have some new coach, have Mike Matheny come in. Uh, they did have some really good bright spots. So, um, Jorge Soler came out of absolutely nowhere to drop forty five bombs. The quietest forty plus home run season I've ever seen in my life. By the way, ever. I think if you go. up. Yeah, I think if you go on the MLB and say, "Do you guys know that Horacio hit over forty bombs?" About half the league will be like, "What,
3: really?" Half the league, they. I mean, the Cubs prospect.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's still, in, is he still in their in their system. Uh, you know, um, you know, Whit Merrifield's gonna be moving to center field. They re-signed Alex Gordon, so he's back with the team. They signed uh, uh, Franco from the Phillies. Mondesi still developing a shortstop, due to an elite speed, and probably more important than all. Salvador Perez is back, and and he's a fan favorite in Kansas City. He's got not a young staff; it's actually kind of a veteran staff, which is a little weird when you think a team that's not where they, where they want to be right now. But you know, we'll see how that works. Um, didn't have a great year last year. I don't. I don't. I don't think any of us expect a great year this year. But you know, with that man, Nick, we'll stay with you right now. You know, what do you think about what do you think about the Royals? What what are their prospects? What do they have to be excited about going into next year?
3: Uh, they actually have. A good, I mean, Albert, Alberto Montesi. This dude could be an absolute stud uh, if he can stay healthy. He's got a great hit tool. His speed is ridiculous and there's no reason to stop him from running. We might see a 60-70 steal season out of him if he stays healthy and I don't see Matheny getting in his way. Uh, what I'm worried about is that Whit Merrifield is leading the AL in hits again and then somehow gets traded away. And I know throughout these podcasts, I talk about trading a lot, of this and that, but it, it really interests me to see how the league can move and, you know, where pieces are beneficial. And a guy that can play second base in center field, who's on a very team-friendly contract and has led the American League in hits the last two years, that's an attractive ass piece to try to go get. And there's so many teams that can use a second baseman and have prospects to give. I love they signed Alex Gordon. This dude has, I believe, eight straight gold gloves, and with two more, he's going to have the most gold gloves in left field in the history of Major League Baseball, and only the second or third, or sorry, the third or fourth most gold gloves by any player. That's that's pretty amazing, and I've liked Gordon for a long time. Uh, he just plays the game the right way. He plays hard. He's a great defender. He's a good team. He keeps his mouth shut, and at times he can hit. He's, he's just a really good player. My thing is, I've got him for 60 wins, which is two more than last year, and I think I might have overshot that because they're really relying on a guy like Mikel Franco to be what everybody expected him to be. They're expecting Nicky Lopez to kind of live up to his potential, and then their first baseman in Ryan O'Hearn has had big power potential, a big hit tool for a few years, and nobody's really come through, so... They're actually a really weird team for me because I really could see them sneaking into the 65, maybe even 70 wins. Because if everybody lives up to not even their full potential, but just close to like what they should do, it's not a bad offense, and it's a really good defense. Everybody out there is good defensively. Their rotation is really trash. I mean, if you've got Keller leading in rotation, you've got a lot of worries. and It's not deep at all. I mean, 1, 2, and 3 are good at best. Danny Duffy and Jake Junis can strike guys out, but they're just so wildly inconsistent. And you have Ian Kennedy, who was a failed starter, then a failed closer, then a failed starter again as your closer. He's obviously not good, and they don't have any help in the bullpen after that. There's just there's so many troubles and so lack of depth where I could see them even maybe finishing behind the Tigers. So their their window of possibilities is huge. Um, but Alberto Mondesi, Whit Merrifield, and salvador Perez are definitely guys to be excited about if if you're royals and hopefully they can get some some better drafting going because their their farm system is pretty weak as well
1: man you don't know, the think the royals i think their their drafting is not terrible i mean right, like it's not great but the development's really bad man like a guy like hunter dozier he's a guy who should have been in major leagues full goal maybe two or three years ago you know mondesi who has shown shown to be really good i think he's a guy who can be better but the Royals really haven't gotten to that point, man. Even guys like Alex, Alex Gordon and, you know, I take it back to a few years back with Eric with Eric Hosmer, guys that were top tool kind of prospects, but they never really quite got there. And I don't know, I feel like something has to be said about the Royals' development, that it, it isn't quite there. They're not really getting the most out of their players, at least in my opinion. And, you know, obviously a lot of it, that's on the player too, but I feel like the Royals can, should do something a little bit better because they're wasting a lot of high draft picks. Like, even uh, Bubba Starling, who was the number one pick in the what we're going to call the Mike Trout draft. Like, this is a dude who was a can't miss prospect, and he didn't make his LB debut till last year. So, something's missing there. You know what I mean? Something's definitely missing. And you can say it goes back to a draft, but even even if they do draft guys, they still have the job to develop them. So,
3: no, I, I think you know, the we, thing with the Royals, man, is they really get hit hard by being such a small market. They can't compete to get to get players. And the only reason I'm kind of pushing back a little bit is because look at the team that won the world series. Those were all guys from their farm system. And it's like the giants get crap. They've never had a good farm system. According to anybody. If you talk to, I mean, anybody, nobody gives the giants credit for their farm system. Are you kidding me? They won three championships with homegrown players. The, the Royals won a championship and were in the world series with homegrown players. I don't think it's about their drafting and development. I really think it's, they can't, there's it they're the a's without being very smart <laughs> like they're not very good at picking diamonds in the rough the development is solid whit merrifield's their guy Nicky lopez is their guy monesty's their guy like Salvador. yeah but, their like, guy.
1: and here's my pushback though they get there so late though man like these are guys who are getting there in their later on in their age you know what i mean like Hunter Dozier didn't get up to the Major League, so he was 26. Bubba Starling didn't get up to the Major League, so he was 27. And Grant, look, I know it's not it's not a race, but if you're a fan, if, if you're just trying to make a better team, you kind of want to have your ducks in a row, and I feel like the Royals fell out doing that. And I would but agree with
3: you, you if they didn't have a ring within this decade.
1: I no, I, no, I get it. I, I, I understand that. I, I get you, but they also had a lot of outside help when you think about it. As far as, uh, you know, they, they had Quato come over. You know, they had maybe the best the best guy on that team was Johnny Ventura, who they did they did get to you know mold a little bit because he was a guy from their system. Right. But you know what that? But what up? I said right, That's a guy from their system. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm just saying it. It's it, I feel like they should get there sooner and they should stay better longer. You know, what I mean, it shouldn't be a one or two year relevance. It should be a longer amount of relevance if you're going to have those guys in your system. Because just the way just the way MLB set up as far as their arbitration system. It's set up for these guys to stay on the team on the major leagues for that amount of time. But we can't keep going into it, man. Rob, man, what do you what do you got for us on the Royals?
2: Yeah, so on, on Kansas City it's a lot of the of what you guys said, um, you know, a little different than Nick. I, I do have the Royals doing a little better. I have them around that sixty four to sixty five win mark. Um, So it's a small improvement for, for them from, from last year. Um, yeah, I mean, they're getting a new manager in Mike Matheny. I don't really still know what I think about that because he's a guy who, you know, essentially got let go um, in St. Louis. And there were a lot of people who didn't really see him as being that good of a manager um, over there. I mean, he got to stay within the state. Now he gets to take over for the, for the other team in Missouri or in the state of Kansas, um, if you don't know. But, yeah, uh, Salvador Perez will, will be making a comeback this season. Um, you know, that could, that could be a huge benefit for them. Salvador Perez is, is the leader of that team with a lot of other players who don't necessarily have, you know, that much experience at, at being good, I guess, if you want to say. Um, there's a lot of players that they still need to develop. Mondesi is definitely the guy that you're looking at. Um, he still needs to develop. I mean, I, I also think he's only like 23 or 24. So he, he's got a good amount of time left. Um, but he he definitely should be the star that they that they build around. Um, and, you know, I think the thing with them, which, um, you know, I, it's not like I'm speaking up bad, badly on this topic or anything like that. But, you know, the thing with them is one of their main weaknesses is their starting pitching. And they're a team that's similar to the to the Miami Marlins got hit by an unfortunate circumstance with the death of your Ventura, because that was their guy. Like that was their, the guy in their rotation who you can see as a number one guy who you can see in conversation as, oh, this guy can be a top 15, top 20 pitcher in the league. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he passed away. Um, so it's kind of hard when you just get hit with that hole out of nowhere. Um so for you know, it's it's def- the starting pitching is definitely an area of weakness. It's an area that that could have been stronger if that unfortunate circumstance had, hadn't occurred. But you know, I think it's it's also a thing that until they don't fix their starting pitching, I don't see Kansas City um, making any sort of push towards the playoff. They're kind of you know back to where they were in the early 2000s, um, where they're they're probably not going to finish higher than fourth in the division for a little while. But hey, like we mentioned, they are definitely sitting more comfortably than a lot of other teams because they did just recently win a ring like five years ago, which is something that, you know, a lot of teams still can't say.
1: Very true. Very, very true. Um, and it's funny, man. We, we we all went through our little, uh, you know, royal spiel here and we barely even mentioned Ori Solera again. He's dude, He's, he's got to be the most underrated, not underrated, but he's got to be one of the most under-talked like players out there, uh, based on what he did last year. I just don't no, talk about guys DH.
3: So I don't talk about them.
1: Oh, I got. You. They're not Hall Famers. No, nope, not at all. Oh, <laughs> all right, man. That's fine. All right, yo, just real quick. Yes or no? Over forty homers again, Rob? No. Nick? Yes. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Spicy. All right, yeah. Let's go. Let's go to like the good teams now. Like, all right. Now that we're done with the shit teams, let, let's get to to some interesting stuff. All right. The third. <laughs> The third place team last year was the Chicago White Sox. This is a team with a deep foreign system. Guys who have been coming up and guys who are coming up this year, they've made some improvements to rotation. They added guys like Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, uh, Michael Kopex coming back off that um, Tommy John. Giolito just had a Cy Young. That's not a young season, but he had a a really good season from a pitcher. Probably did get some Cy Young votes. I don't remember if he did or not. And uh, yeah, they're just they just a team on the on the uprise. You know what I mean? They have uh, Dylan Sees, who's one of their prospects in their rotation too. Ronaldo Lopez. You know. Um, that being said, guys, I, I I know you guys know how high I'm a, I am at Luis Robert. I have I have Luis Robert as my rookie of the year in the AL Central this year. You know what I mean, I think he, I think he's gonna be the most impactful rookie. I don't have him as my MVP because I want to say something crazy like that, but I just can't. I I just can't. He's my he's gonna be my, my AL Central's most impactful rookie.
2: But you have you probably Damn. have him winning rookie of the year overall too, right?
1: Yep. Um, you know what? I haven't gone in that deep yet, but he's definitely in the running, man. I, I I right now, if I'm going off the top of my head, I can't imagine picking somebody else. I'm gonna have to like throw it a lot. You know what I mean? But I think he he probably will be. He's definitely gonna be in the conversation for me. But that being said, man, Chicago White Sox, a lot of high hopes. They might be a year early, depending on where you have them. I personally have them finishing second this year. But yeah, man, White Sox. uh, Rob, man, lead us to it.
2: Yeah, so I think you you and me were talking about this a little bit earlier. The the White Sox are the most unpredictable team in this division, um, simply because I think they have a higher ceiling than the other teams if their players all start to click the way that everyone expects them to and you know you just mentioned it which is something that i actually have written down about them is can they arrive a year early you know i've been saying for the longest time you know we have gibson in the group and i know he has all the hope that the white sox contend this year they can show up a year early i'm still going to go with my prediction of them making the postseason in 2021 i still think they they have another year to put it all together but I mean, <clears throat> their lineup is dangerous. Um if if everyone if everyone goes off how they're supposed to. I mean, you're talking about Jose Abreu who who still gets underrated as as a hitter at first base um by some people. You know, they they added Yasmani Grandal as their catcher, Moncada and Anderson. I mean, if they have similar seasons to last year, Aloy can improve. Luis Roberts coming up. I mean, they made they made so many smart offseason moves. And, and you know, I think that's the thing with them. The thing about their offseason moves is they were kind of a little different from the way a lot of teams usually make their moves. Because I find it that once you start to knock off, like, the top-level free agents, I think a lot of teams end up making moves um, from a position of loss. And what I mean by that is you can take a team like the Nationals, for example. Um, unless they're going to go out and trade for a Nolan Arenado, whoever they put at third base is going to be a loss compared to what Anthony Rendon gave them. Um, the White Sox made moves that from my opinion, all seem like upgrades. Grandal at catcher and Carnacion at DH, the trade for Mazzaro, which doesn't get talked about enough in right field, adding Keiko and Gio to their rotation, you know, two veteran guys, Keiko's still a mid-level Um, type starter geo a guy who can just simply go out there and eat up innings um so they made a lot of moves that are upgrades to areas that they needed um you know, they, they went about it a little bit differently. Last year, the whole talk was, oh, are they going to sign Manny Machado or a Bryce Harper? You know, to splurge on this one superstar. But hey, they ended up getting incredible pieces. I mean, they got, they locked up Grandal for four years. You know, and Carnacion could still give you 30-plus bombs, as, as evident from last year, um, from the time he spent with Seattle and the Yankees. I mean, Kaiko was still a decent starter. And then you have the youngsters to back them up, Moncada, Eloy, Robert, you know tim anderson even though i don't think tim and tim anderson is going to repeat as you know american league batting champion but if, if he can put up you know 80 80 85 of the season that he had last last year and i think the 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 overall goal with their fan base to be honest with you should be to get to a 500 season i mean last year last year they they won 72 games um, and I'm going to go with them having a 14 game improvement based on the guys that they had. I, th- I have them at 86 wins for this upcoming season. They're going. I have them finishing second in the division. And I know we're going to. We still have two other teams to cover um, in the division. But I'm, I'm about to hit you with a shocker right here. You ready for this? Do it. Do it. My MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year are all coming from the White Sox. And I'm going Moncada, Giolito, and Luis Robert taking those awards in the
1: division. Damn! Hit him! Hit him with a triple threat. The triple threat. I like it. I like it, man. I I'm not mad at it. I you know what? <laughs> I thought you were gonna do something crazy. I thought you you were gonna say your MVP, your Rookie of the Year, and your Cy Young of the division was gonna be Michael Kopak. You didn't do no, I was, it. I thought that too. <laughs> but I was like, Whoa, But, but I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad at you though. I'm not mad at it. I'm, I'm not mad at it.
2: I mean, let's let's get a, <laughs> let's get a little crazy. Not like you know. I don't want to. I don't want you to have to send me to the insane asylum here. No.
1: <laughs> I, dude, I don't know, man. I'm hoping. I'm, I, have, I have big hopes for Michael Kopech. Uh, I I really do, man. Uh, I don't have him that high yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did it either. Nick, right. man. What about you? What do you have on this team?
3: So I've got him at 85 wins. So 85 and 77, so one win behind Rob um there's just there's so much talent here and but what really scares me is eloy jimenez was a surefire. he can't miss this dude is gonna be the mvp his rookie year i mean it's, he, as an outfielder he was gonna win the cy young he was gonna win the rookie of the year two years in a row like this dude was to be knees right and he fell on his face like he had a decent year, but he did not live up to the hype. So for me, it's, are they going to have that again? Are they going to have that again and have another couple of guys fall the face and um and Luis Robert? So that's what I'm afraid of. The trades and the moves they made, absolutely phenomenal. Mazzara, I, he has not lived up to his hype. I mean, I heard people talking about him having the, the sound off the bat like Albert Pujols. And he obviously hasn't done that. I love yes, Martin Dundahl. He's my number one catcher. Uh, Edward Conacio was on pace for almost 50 bombs last year and 140 RBIs if he played the whole year. Jose Abreu is the most underrated player in baseball, I believe. So they have everything. And their bullpen is pretty good. Alex Colomé is a good closer. He shuts it down. Uh, Bummer is a good guy. C-Shake that they got is solid. Kelvin Herrera coming 100 miles an hour out of the pen can do well. Jason Fry. So, like, their bullpen is really deep. My biggest thing with them is the rotation is very suspect. It is not deep. It's only six guys deep, and I know it's a five-man rotation, but that's not deep when you have teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees uh, and a couple of the teams that have you know seven, eight pitchers to throw out there. So, Lucas Giolito finally did what he was supposed to do. Can he do it again? Maybe, maybe not. Dallas Keuchel, soft-throwing lefty. He's solid, but he's not an ace. He's not even close. He probably shouldn't really, on a contending team, he should not be a number two pitcher. Gio Gonzalez right now is their number three. He's got a five ERA, I believe, last year. Dylan Cease, again, a prospect. I don't trust, to Daniel, to your point with the Royals, I don't trust the White Sox development. They have not had a guy come through their system that was not pro-ready like Abreu and really do well. So I'm worried that Cease isn't going to to the hype. Ronaldo Lopez is absolutely filthy when he's on. I believe he had two games of 14 and 15 Ks last year. So when he's on, he's on and he's almost unhittable. And Michael Kopech, all we know is that he takes a crow hop and throws 119 miles. An hour. Like he has not really proved himself at any level at a high, at a really high level. It's all potential. So this team has tons of potential. It's really fun. I love what they did. And I'm really interested to watch this team a lot this year because this is They could be the twins from last year and jump up 30 games. So they could go from 72 to 102 very easily, but they could also go from 72 to 82 very easily. They will be better than last year. It's just a question of how much. And it's one of those things where I really want to see it before I buy into it. And their manager, Rick Renteria, has been there for three years. So he's been with these guys for a little bit and he knows what he has with them and they they know what they have with him. And he's been underperforming each year. They should have been better last year than they were because the division was so weak and they weren't. So it'll be fun to watch. They really could sorry, guys got a call my bad. Uh, really could be, I mean, they really could take over the first place in the division because I think the twins fall back a little bit. Um, so it'll be very interesting, very, very fun to see. Since Rob threw out his picks, uh, I forgot to do that with the on the on the Detroit Tigers, but believe it or not. I got Casey Myers winning the Rookie of the Year out of the out of the AL Central, not overall, but the AL Central's Rookie of the Year. It's going to be Casey Myers. I think. They make some trades from the Tigers, and he gets called up, and I got Matt Boyd if he stays with them as a Cy Young out of the AL Central.
1: All right, all right. I don't think you'd be mad at that. I think um, it's one of those things where with Casey Myers it depends when he comes up, and with with uh, well Boyd, like you said, if he gets traded or not. Right. Yeah, no, but like this this, this White Sox team, both of you guys alluded to it though it. We really don't know. Like we, we wanna. Be- I believe that their that their rotation is gonna be good enough where they can eat up enough innings that their offense can get the job done. Um, but it really does depend on Michael Kopech being that ace type guy. And I think when it comes to stuff, Kopech reminds me a lot of Walker Buehler in LA. And you know, you know, mentioned you mentioned um, development and things like that. Like if if Michael po- Kopech was in you know Dodgerland. In, in my opinion, he is Walker Buehler for that for that team. You know what I mean? He has that kind of talent, at least, is what I'm trying to get at. And White Sox, you're right. They haven't proven that in, in a while. I think the, the best pitcher they've developed is what, Mike Burley in a while. So, so, so we'll see with that, man. With that, let's go to our number two team from last year, and that was the Cleveland Indians. And the Cleveland Indians are probably one of the more interesting teams just because, kind of like the White Sox, we don't know what's happening, but it has like a negative connotation. You know, we know they have... A guy who I'm surprised Rob didn't have his, his MVP in Francisco Lindor. But probably the reason why he didn't have him there is because there's a good chance that he gets traded. Uh, you know, yeah, they just had Mike Clevenger go down with a meniscus tear on his landing leg, which Nick kind of told us it might have been it might be six to eight weeks. But I have to think it's going to be longer just because there is a lot of pressure that goes on his, on his uh, left knee from so much torque that he puts on and all that stuff going on from his landing. He's, he's got one of the more... Aggressive lower bodies in, in in MLB, just as far as uh, you know, pitching goes. But their infield is probably one of the better infields you're gonna find. You know, what I mean, you have a Gold Glover at catcher. Jose Ramirez is probably one of the better bats at third base. You can debate either him or Donaldson, or even I guess Yohan Moncada for the best hitting third baseman in the Central. You know, Lindor, like I said, MVP caliber player. They just signed Hernandez and Carlos Santana had a great year last year, but. Outside of that, man, it's kind of the rest of that offense is sketchy. They don't have great defense out there. Uh, Mercado, we kind of have we, we hope he's doing he's going to do all right. Uh, the pitching staff. We just mentioned the loss of Clevenger. Shane Bieber, who was an all-star last year, who did, performed really well. We got to see if he can he can do that again. You know Carrasco he's coming back from from his from his cancer we're hoping that he can you know get back in that rotation Zach Plisak who had a very decent year Savale who who had a, he had a decent year he's, he's another guy who we're excited about so you know Nick we're go, we'll start with you because this is kind of like one of these pitching dominant teams that is going to rely on that rotation if they're going to get anywhere uh, what, what do you have on the
3: Indians yeah I mean t- the Indians are baffling to me from a media standpoint like what team wins 92 win, has 92 wins the year before and all of a sudden is like the biggest seller in all of baseball? They need to just get rid of everybody and they're not going to do anything and they're not going to do that. It's, it's mind-blowing to me because they, they only lost Corey Kluber and Corey Kluber really didn't play for them last year. So what did they lose to go from 93 wins down to third or fourth in the division? It, it really is confusing to me. Um, I'm really looking forward to Fran Reyes. This dude has a ton of pop, and a whole year over there in Cleveland in the AL gives him a, t- a time to do DH and right field. Uh, crazy prediction for me out of the AL Central, Fernando Reyes hits 50 bombs this year. Assuming the ball stays the same, he's going to drop 50 bombs, and he's going to lead the AL in home runs. They've, this is the, maybe the best outfield they've had in their recent success with Reyes, Mercado, and Luplo. Francisco Lenore is going to be the set. I think he's going to win AL MVP this year. I, 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 just have a feeling if he stays on the team that he's gonna, he's gonna have put together a year that we haven't seen yet. And you talked about Robert Perez. I mean, you talked about all the guys to like their rotation is very deep. And I tr- completely trust not only Cleveland's development, especially for starting pitchers, but Terry Francona. He's going to win Manager of the Year. It's going to happen again. He's such a good manager. He's a great players manager for the young guys. He's a wonderful players manager for the old guys. And he just understands the game. He's bothered the analytics, but he just can go with the flow. The only weakness to this team that I see is the bullpen. Brad Hand really scuffled last year. But you can put a lot of those starters that don't make their rotation into the bullpen, and they've got a ton of depth. Jose Ramirez, if he can just figure out a full season of above his average is supposed to trash can and MVP like he's done the last two years if he can just be like all-star the whole year he's gonna be solid Cesar Hernandez a solid second baseman the team is much better than they're getting credit for and I don't see the big fuss over like what's going on even if they trade Francisco Lindor I don't see them dropping crazy so I, I actually have them at like 92 90 93 wins this year which is the same record they have last year, which puts them right there in the playoff hunt and second in the division.
1: All right, and you know, like I have that flip flop with you. Again, I don't have the White Sox winning ninety plus games, but I do have the White Sox coming in second and the Indians coming in third. But man, Rob, where do you have the Indians?
2: Yeah, I have I have the Indians coming in third. I, I actually do have them taking a a good drop. I have them around eighty three or eighty four wins, um, simply because I think. I think the Indians have given every indication um, that at least to me, at least to me, starting this season, they're going to start entering a small rebuild. And I, I don't know if I would even necessarily call it a rebuild. I'd call it more of just like a retooling or, or a reshaping of, the, of their roster. But that reshaping is going to take place with, I'm 90% sure it's going to take place with Francisco Lindor being gone. And I prob- I'm probably like... 50 or 60 percent sure that they're also going to to gauge the trade interest for for Mike Clevenger because I don't think that you trade I don't think that you trade Lindor and try to remain competitive I think that the Indians are at a point where they they're they're not going to pay these guys they they see what's happening Lindor is coming up on a contract Jose Ramirez is coming up on a contract you have Clevenger and Bieber now um, you know, in your rotation, which are two top-of-the-rotation guys, which are going to have to pay at some point, you know, not saying that, that paying them is coming up soon or anything, but um, I just don't see them wanting to spend the money. Um, but, you know, their their strength is their starting pitching. They have been able to develop pitching. They have Clevenger, they have Bieber, they still have Carrasco there, who, you know, luckily will be back for them uh, from leukemia. Um, they have Plesak. They have a very decent rotation. It's just, to me, once you take Lindor out of that lineup, and, you know, once you potentially take Clevenger out of that lineup, which his injury has effectively done. Now you're potentially talking about him coming back and they might, you know, not saying that it's going to happen again. But, you know, they might try to see where the interest is at, at the deadline um, to potentially move Clevenger as well. Um, those are two big pieces that they're going to be missing for for me to, to push them higher than third. I, I think I think the White Sox made the moves that they had to make. Um, and, you know, we're going to get in, into the twins a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I have them at third right now. Um, I just don't know, man, they, they made some, you know, I think they made a sneaky good addition to that squad by signing, uh, Cesar Hernandez. I think Cesar Hernandez is a very underrated second baseman. Um, so I think he'll, he'll be good from them. But I also just think that if you look back at their recent playoff runs, um, they've, they've lost a lot of key players on that team. Like they traded away Corey Kluber. Um, even, even, you know, Nick mentioned their, their bullpen is weak. Um, they don't have Andrew Miller anymore. They don't have Cody Allen, you know, going a few years back when they were, when they were key parts of that bullpen. They don't have Jan Gomes. They don't have Jason Kipnis, who, who signed with the Cubs. Um, they don't have Michael Brantley. Um, so they, they've had, they've lost a lot of key guys. And I think one of the funny things to me is I would love to be sitting in a room with their executives. Um, talking about how they're they're not willing to pay Francisco Lindor when they might end up, you know, paying a guy like Jose Ramirez. Because I would love to hear the reasoning. Because I'll tell you right now, if the reasoning is because Jose Ramirez is going to cost less, yeah, that's usually the reason when you're paying the lesser player.
1: Yeah, you mentioned a great point, man. And uh, I got to say this. I hate what the Indians are doing just because they're a team that's good enough to be competitive, you know, to, to, to compete for the playoffs like the rotation is really solid. I still think that, you know, full health, they they could be a top 10 rotation and they've done things to get rid of more guys that rotation. Like they traded Bauer away last year. They let, you know, they traded away uh, Kluber. So I think this is a team that's trying to get worse as much as they can to justify trading away. And it hasn't happened because they do, they have really good players. And I think that, Instead of trying to capitalize on that and completely just full push, they said, Uh, we don't know if we're really gonna win this thing, so let's just slowly kind of trade guys here and trade guys there and kind of give away Kluber and hope that and hope that we we suck enough where we can get some more picks and hopefully compete for this thing again two or three years down the road. Which I, I don't know. I I just it doesn't sit well with me. I think Brad Brad Hand's those guys where they're gonna trade them away, man. Like they don't—they don't, they don't want to compete. Like the Indians just don't want to do it. And I'm—and I'm not saying that the players. And I'm not even saying Terry Francona. I'm—I'm I'm saying the front office, the owner. They just—they kind of want to go back into this re- weird re- rebuild mode when they didn't have to do that. They had the players. They had the pieces. Grant, I think the whole Bauer trade was kind of like a hey, let's let's upgrade our offense and our pitching is good enough so to get us over a hump, but. I I don't know. I I don't like what's going on in Cleveland. It's not necessarily the players' fault. I think the players are going to go out. They're going to perform. And I think the owners, instead of capitalizing on that, they're going to find a way to to just trade those guys instead of going fully after the World Series, which is something I can't get behind as a fan or or as of that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes with that. And with that being said, our next team is the Twins. And the Twins were the division winners last year. Won over a hundred games, so a lot of to a lot of people that was a surprise. I don't think it was that crazy. I think I think the Twins had you know were on the upswing of things. I know Rob bet on the Twins pretty heavily, and uh, if it wasn't for a certain team, he would have won a lot of money for that. Uh, he had them win the division last year. <laughs> he had them win the division last year. They ended up doing it. Um, oddly enough, the the pieces that the Twins ended up adding this year were more on the offensive side. The big signing for them was obviously Josh Donaldson. He's a guy who you know, he's probably a perennial MVP depending on if you take a couple of years away from him. You know, they're, they're they 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 are are moving Miguel Sonoma to first base who's that big power third baseman they've had. Mitch Glover is now the full-time catcher. Jason Casher has gone to the Angels. Their outfield, you know, they have Rosario, Buxton, Kepler. Very good defensive outfield. You know, shortstop Jose Polanco, guy that you know, just made an all-star team last year, was very good for them. Luis Arias at second. The rotation's headlined by Jose Barrios. You know, Odorizzi had a decent year. They traded for Maeda. They signed Bailey. And, you know, with that, they're kind of just trying to piece together a really good team. T- Taylor Rogers had a really good year last year. Sergio Romo's on that team. Tyler Clippard. So th- they're, they're a team that, essentially, on the pitching side of it, it seems like they're trying to piece innings together to just get them to the postseason. And the guys they have should definitely do that for them. I think their one plus guy, or their one guy that you can consider an ace, is Berrios. He's the really, he, for, to me, at least in my opinion, he's the only guy with legitimate takeover game type stuff. Or good, not great, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, just the Twins are, are, are an overall complete team. They really shouldn't have a problem winning winning that division again, unless the White Sox do something that, that can happen as far as just being better overall. The the Twins are more just offensive heavy team. You know they broke their they absolutely crushed their home run record last year. And you know with that being said, man, Nick, what, what do you have on the Twins?
3: I really like the Twins going this year, and I don't want to. I I don't I don't buy into a twenty eight game you know jump in wins. I don't really buy into an analytic first manager. First year doing that well and repeating. Uh, I mean, I I don't buy into how good everybody they had was last year setting a home run record, but I I have to, and the reason I have to is because there's no reason not to. Like I talked about it before on a podcast, Rocco Baldelli is the first manager that is very much bought into the analytics and also played in the analytics era, so he's the perfect person to take a bunch of young guys and really do the three true outcomes which is home run, strikeout, uh start or walk. And I think that's the reason I don't like this team is I hate FIP. I hate xFIP. If it could just go away, I would be so happy because the three true outcomes is such a crock of shit in my opinion. But they did live by that. I don't care if you strike out 200 times as long as you drop 30 and 35 home runs. It will even out. And guess what? It did. The only problem I really have with them is, like, what you and I talk about all the time, Daniel, is analytics does not set you up to win a postseason. It sets you up to win the most out of 162 games and you make it to the playoffs, but it does not set you up to win four out of seven or three out of five or one out of one. And the reason I'm not going to totally just bash the Twins is because they actually did get better where they needed to get better, which is in the starting location. Jason Rizzi has been solid since he's on the race. He's a good pitcher. He just he just doesn't have a stuff, even though everybody wants him to. I'm really excited to see Kenta Maeda. It It was out of nowhere that they got him and outside of Garrett Cole, who they were never going to get, this might be the best addition they could have made. Madison Bumgarner has a lot of innings on his arm and he's never pitched in cold weather. I don't believe he's ever lived in cold weather, so who knows how he does in the first part of the year and this last part of the year in Minnesota. And Hinjin Ryu, the skills are there. He's got ace skills, he always has. But can he perform for, you can't bet on him pitching more than 150 innings. Kenta Maeda has been held back because of the Dodgers system and not wanting to pay him money. They absolutely could put him in the bullpen because they had other guys that could start and come away with it, he might end up being up there with Barrios for their ace. He's got the stuff. Now we just need to see if he can do it over 180, 200 innings. Uh, Homer Bailey's solid. He's nothing special, but he's not going to hurt you over the course of the year. He's going to be a good number four. And the name that you didn't mention that comes around at, you know, July, August, even maybe the end of August, Rich Hill is an ace. When he's on the mound, he is one of the top 10 pitchers in the league. The problem is is when he's on the mound, because he's not very often. But it's going to be like a midseason trade for an ace when they get Rich Hill back. And now all of a sudden, assuming Odo Rizzi has a year similar to last year, and assuming Maeda does what I think he can do, you now have a really good one through four, and you have two dominant guys in Barrios and Hill who can take over a game by themselves, and they did not have that last year. So I can't see, I don't want to say they're going to regress a ton. I don't think they're going to set another record for home runs. Mitch Garver is not going to have a home run every eight of bats and be on a Mark McGuire pace. It's just not going to happen, but I don't see them falling off that much, and the Josh Donaldson move is about as perfect as you can get in that offense because you slide Miguel Sano over to first base, a far less taxing defensive position, and you still keep his bat in the lineup every day, and you don't kick Nelson Cruz out of the DH spot. It's absolutely amazing, and they still have upside out of Arias and Buxton, so there's not only do they have a great team from last year, they still have offensive upside, which is insane. And they did fully address their woes last year in that starting pitching. I don't see them having enough to overcome a Yankees or an Astros, but they have a much better chance, and it's going to be a much better fight when that happens. Man, you are a on rich hill. That is... I don't, I don't want to be, but go look at the numbers. When he's out there, he's a top 10 pitcher. I don't want to say it, but he is.
1: You know what, man, his numbers his numbers kind of do add up after he turned 34. Before that, he was kind of like, eh, but after he turned 34, he's kind of been on that, and like, you know, he has been really good. He's not out there enough to say that. Granted, like the the years he has been out there out there longer it hasn't been as good for him. But still, I, I get what you mean with that, man. And with with the Twins, are mentioning we're mentioning who you have, and I actually have Josh Donaldson coming out as my MVP for the division. Again, this is MVP for the league. This is just the best player on the in the AL Central. I think he goes to a perfect situation where all they want him to do is mash, and that lineup around them—they're not going to get on base as much as, as you'd want to because they're going to be trying to mash also. But he, like you know, Nick kind of mentioned, he's the perfect fit for that in that situation. Uh, he's an upgraded defensively over Sonel. Does he make that big of an impact over the season? I don't. I don't know. I, I can't say that he does just because you know. How many more homers is he going to hit than CJ Kwan? CJ Kwan hit over 30 for them, I think. Like, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's a team that definitely got better. The rotation definitely got better. They're going to be able to eat innings up better than they did last year. You know, you're hoping Buxton Lewis, I mean, oh, sorry. Byron Buxton uh, stays healthy out there. You're hoping that Royce Lewis comes up and is productive because he is someone they do expect sometime this year. So we'll see. We'll see how he comes up. It seems like a pretty stacked Stacked team, so you don't know exactly where he's gonna slide in. Maybe, maybe he takes over second base. Maybe they do something. Polanco. I don't. I don't know. But you know, point is, this is a team that should have no problem winning that division again. Yeah, you know, Rob, man, what do you have on them? I know that you. You know, you, you know for sure that they're not being the Yankees in the, in any kind of uh, playoff series.
2: Yeah. So, like you mentioned, I had I had the Twins winning the the AL Central um, last year when a lot of people still thought that the that the Indians were gonna take it. Um, I I guess I just. I don't know. To me, I, I just kind of saw the fall of the Indians in terms of winning the division just just coming. So um, I had Minnesota there last year. I have them there um, for this upcoming season. I do think that they regress a little bit. I have them at 95 wins um, down from the 101 that they had last year. I don't think they they repeat with 100 wins. Um, but yeah, you know, Nick brought up a very good point, which was one of the points that I had when I was looking at the rotation is the return of Rich Hill from injury um i to be clear i don't think that's going to be enough for them though like um i think they they needed to add a not necessarily a safety net but just more assurance to that rotation they needed to get a bum garner they needed to get a ryu they needed to get a kaiko they needed to get one of those guys to throw in that rotation um you know to to kind of kind of even things out we're still we're still waiting on kind of like a real breakthrough season from Jose Barrios. I think the, the kid is very, very talented. Um, but, you know, at this moment, he's still not uh, – I can't look at him and say he's a legit number one um, at the moment. And, you know, like you mentioned, the addition of Josh Donaldson, I think it's going to be huge for them, um, even though I think they needed to focus more on their pitching – but, you know, you do bring in Josh Donaldson, and I did mention that at least, you know, coming off of last season, I view him as a as a poor man's version of Anthony Rendon. He's going to get you 30-plus homers. He's, he's going to get you 90-plus, 100-plus RBIs. His average isn't going to be what Rendon's average is, but fielding-wise, he's a very good fielder at third base. He finished third um, in the NL last year for for Gold Glove behind Arenado and Rendon. And he's a guy who's probably still can can go for a 900 plus OPS. Um, so yeah, he, he's a very decent pickup. And you know, you get Josh Donaldson for 92 million. The the Angels paid Rendon 245 million. Um, obviously, Rendon's the better player. Not saying that. Not saying, you know, that Donaldson is, but, you know, for, for a lot less money, they, they got a very good player over there. But Minnesota is still going to have to rely on power, power, power. That's that's what they have to go with. They have to hope that they can replicate last season and just start hitting bombs all over the place. Um, and, yeah, I, I still have them taking the AL Central crown this year. But, you know, you you mentioned it literally before I started talking about Minnesota. But it's a very real thing. Like, let me put my Yankees fandom to the side for a minute. Minnesota needs to find a way to beat the Yankees in the postseason. Like that, like I don't know if I've ever seen another baseball team struggle with a team so much in the postseason. Like they've lost six straight postseason series to the Yankees, dating back to 2004. And since 2004, in those series, they're one and sixteen, and the one win came in 2004. So I don't know what it is. Minnesota, Minnesota needs to pray that the Yankees get the number one seed, um, and that Minnesota falls in that two to three. <laughs> you know that they don't that they win the division and aren't a wild card team. Um, that way they might have a chance to get to the ALCS and face the Yankees. But if they have to face the Yankees in the division series again, um, you know, just looking back on history, I don't necessarily like their their chances.
1: And you shouldn't. <laughs> you, you shouldn't. Like look. That's the thing. We when we look at it and we talk about this, you can set a team up for 162 and hope they get lucky. Which we've got to the point where some fans, some fans think that that's the right way to go about it. I disagree with that. I think that you want to have as many talented players as you can on your on your roster, and you want to you want to win that. You want to have guys that can win that one game, not just build numbers up to get through a season. Which, again, you need to get through a season, but at the same time, there's a, there's a balance there. You have to find that balance. And, and that being said, guys, that's that's our division, man. Let's just, let's just do a quick recap for everybody. And, you know, just re- really quick, run through who your division winner is, who you got, wh- who, who's the best player in the division, your Cy Young, and your rookie of the year in the division, man. Rob, you, you go ahead and start.
2: Yeah, so I have Minnesota taking the division crown um, with 95 wins. And I have my MVP, my Rookie of the Year, and uh, my Cy Young um, for the division, all coming from the White Sox. Juan Moncada, um, MVP, Lucas Giolito, Cy Young, and Luis Robert, rookie. And um, having those three on that team, I have the White Sox with a 14-game improvement at 86 wins.
3: There you go, man. Nick, what about you? So I got the Twins winning at 98 wins. Uh, I've got Casey Mize, the Rookie of the Year. Uh, Cy Young going to be Matt Boyd and MVP going to be Francisco Lindor because I don't think the Indians actually trade him this year.
1: All right, there you go. And for me, I have the Twins winning division. I do have them under 100 games, winning under 100 games. My rookie of the year was Lewis Robert because obviously that's my man crush on his Valentine's Day. Uh, my Cy Young was, is, is, I didn't name it, but my Cy Young I have as Shane Bieber for the Indians. And my MVP is Josh Donaldson, man. So we'll, we'll see how things uh go ahead and go in the, in the AL Central. It's going to be an interesting divisional watch. Everyone's going to be watching the White Sox to see whether they meet their expectations and whether they can get to where the fans expect them to get, which is a pretty high place because they do have that talent. We'll see if the Twins end up trading away Lindor, which is going to be their biggest storyline, and whether the Twins can get over that big New York City skyline hump that is the playoffs and facing the Yankees and those better teams it's gonna be a fun division to watch man it's it's, it's good kansas city detroit they have their own storylines that are pretty interesting you know casey casey mize is probably the one to watch between those two teams and jory Solera hitting going from 45 home runs to 74 because he's gonna just absolutely do that and no one's gonna talk about it again um so yeah guys th- thanks for being here happy valentine's days out there i hope that you guys don't get in trouble with your ladies for hearing this instead of spending that time with them. Same thing for the ladies. I hope you guys don't get in trouble for listening to us instead of spending time with your hubbies. But thanks for being with us, man. the next episode, we're going to have the NL West, and we're going to break down that division. Thank you for being with us. As always, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on our website, SAW, where Rob and Nick are going to hit you with those great articles that they're going to be writing. And as always, join our family, man. Thank you guys for listening.
0: Hey guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Diamond Talk Podcast presented by The Craft Factory. Stay tuned for the next episode. But until then, if you have any statements, comments, or you want your questions answered live on the podcast, feel free to email us at diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. That's diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. See you soon.